Today on Podcast by the Bay, we're speaking with former longtime councilwoman and two-time mayor, Pam Priscilla. We represent the people, not the city, but the people. And I think I did that well. Um, and in the county on these commissions I'm on now, that's what I'm still doing, is just advocating for the people. To discuss many of the local issues affecting Foster City and her perspective. Your colleagues is who to stop it. Your colleagues, you're all equal up there. If you're the mayor or a council person, you're all equals. You can all say whatever you want to say. Just everyone's afraid of the backlash. They're afraid to get chewed down by him. So they keep their mouth shut. All coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is a production of Bay City Communications and is sponsored by Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com And now, another podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another rendition of Podcast by the Bay. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for downloading this episode. And we thank you for spreading the word out in podcast land to all your friends. We definitely appreciate it. And so today we're going to get back to some of our local coverage here on the peninsula. And today we have a special guest, Pam Priscilla of Foster City, who is a longtime councilwoman and also two-time mayor. So Patrick, you know Pam for a long time. You got to speak with her. Can you give us a little background about Pam and a little bit of background about the interview? Thanks, Andre. Yeah, it was a great opportunity to interview a longtime resident of uh, Foster City for some 42 years. Pam Frisella. Um, she was on the council from 2005 to 2013. She was twice mayor. Um, uh, she speaks her mind. She was on Samaritan House. Um, her uh, deceased husband uh, passed away at an early age in a do-buggy accident. Um, I had a great opportunity to spend around 50 minutes with her uh, going from the first day that she moved into Foster City to getting uh, being a civic responsible person. Um, she's kind of the heartbeat of Foster City. If anybody is thinking of running for election or wants some advice, they usually reach out to Pam Fursella. Um, I've reached out to Pam over the years. I've known Pam for probably almost 30 years. Um, great lady. I don't want to take too much away from it, um, the interview. Uh, I know, Andre, you've had an opportunity to listen to it a little bit. There's some exciting things. We're going to go into her background. We're going to talk about current politics. We're going to talk about we're going to talk about the recall. We're going to talk about the levy. We're going to talk about the Brown Act. We're going we're going to talk about council civility. We're going to talk about it all here at Podcast by the Bay because we want you, our listeners, to actually hear it from a a source of a person out there in the community. Um, we may agree or we may disagree with her points of view, but as you know, Andre and I at Podcast by the Bay. We want to ask the questions, get the communication out there for you to listen and to question. 
That is right, Patrick. That's an excellent point. And that is what we do here at Podcast By. We're going to go to the source. We're going to talk to people with their opinions and their perspectives who people have been doing this in for a while. So we definitely appreciate it. And so I think you guys are going to really uh, be enlightened by this one. This this one actually has a lot of depth. Uh, like Patrick said, there's a lot of topics specifically with the Foster City issues that are happening. I think there's going to be pretty uh, in- insightful on this uh, particular podcast. So with that, I think we're going to go ahead and get to the Pamphracilla interview here on Podcast by the Bay. If you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to us at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at Podcast by the Bay is our handle or on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast by the Bay. And remember, we are now Bay City Communications. This is what our overseas company is, and we're going to be announcing some big news coming up soon. So Podcast by the Bay is now produced by Bay City Communications. And so we're excited to really uh, be moving forward with that process so yeah you can always check us out on our website or on any podcast site 24 hours a day so with that signing off this is andre and this is patrick and we'll catch you on the next time a podcast by the bay stay tuned well welcome to podcast by the bay today is october 31st halloween and um, i have the honor of interviewing uh, pam frisella she served on the council from 2005 to 2013, is that correct? Correct. And, and she was mayor twice. Um, you know, I did a little, I've known Pam for a long time. I've done a little research on her, and she probably knows probably just as much about me as I know about her, or maybe not. Um, but today I wanted to talk, first of all, what did you think of the World Series? And um, if Danny was around, <laughs> um, everybody... Uh, Probably some people know that um, her husband was a professional pitcher. Mm-hmm. He served for the Milwaukee, uh, and his last term as a professional player was for Milwaukee, and I think he had a 34-40 and 40 record win and loss uh, record. That's what, what I picked up on knowledge. Yeah. I'm a baseball nut. I was, I was anxious. I just wanted to see if Pam was rooting for the same team I was rooting for. Who were uh, you rooting for? Well, since... Uh yeah, I, I was definitely rooting for the Nationals. I like the underdog, and they've got so many young players and well, some I, established players. But I, I was for the Nationals. Yeah. I was excited to watch the game. Obviously, I'm a Giants fan. I still like the A's, but um, brought back memories uh, just to <laughs> see that that the uh, Nationals haven't won since 1920s, or the team's been around since 1926. Yeah, they've never. Yeah, yeah they've, they've never, never really won. Yeah. yeah. So it was it was exciting, and um, just a little background: uh, her her husband had an accident in a dew buggy at yes. age thirty, and yes. I think you were pregnant at the time. I was pregnant and had a three year old. A three year old. So we were at spring training for Milwaukee, and so I came back here and and had to buy a house here because we had a house in Atlanta, but we had rented it out to one of the the Braves players because we played for Atlanta, New York. San Diego, Milwaukee, St. Louis. Um, so we, we made the rounds because he was a relief pitcher. Uh, so I came back here and somehow found a, a house in Foster City that I'm still in 42 years later. I moved in on a Wednesday and had my son on Saturday. Well, congratulations. His, his name is Danny, too. Yes, he was born on his dad's birthday. So this house and this city kind of kind of adopted me 42 years ago and that's why I ever wanted to kind of go back and do what I could to contribute 
back to the city and volunteer as much as I could through Little League and all the things that I've kind of done with Samaritan House and, and then, then with City Council, which was the, the icing on the cake, I thought. It was such an honor. Well, I've had, I've had an honor to watch you on City Council, talk with you, be invited to some social events. So I know we're always bumping into each other, and it's a pleasure. Uh, a lot of the adjectives that describe Pam out there is she's an activist. She's involved in the community, whether it was Little League or City Council. Um, she was formerly on the uh, Samaritan House, or are you still on the Samaritan House Board of Directors? I'm on the advisory council now. I was on the uh, on the board, and then I worked there for five years. I created the volunteer uh, coordinator position right before I ran for city council, so I quit right after that. Well, she was close with John Kelly. I, I happened to serve on one of the original board of directors. I think it was a treasurer or a secretary or something mm. for a short period of time, and I'm like you, but I've only been in Foster City 30 years, not 42. So you got a little bit more time on me in Foster City. And uh, well, I, I can remember when I first moved to Foster City, I said, when am I moving out? And yeah. uh, 30 years later, I'm still here. That just means I'm older. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, curiosity is um, you've got some great grandkids. I know you're on Facebook a lot. How old are your grandkids? They're not great grandchildren. I mean, they're. They're lovely grandchildren. They're not great great okay, grandchildren. Okay, I, hope I yeah, didn't yeah. say that. No, no, no that's okay. Um, I have you have two sons, and I have four grandsons. So, no girls around, but my two daughters-in-law are fabulous. So, but no, no little little girls around. Just boys. Let's talk a little bit about some of your successes on city council in 2005 to 2013. I know that goes a ways back, but I I think some of those same issues are issues that we're talking about mm -hmm. now. Why don't we kind of regress and talk about a little bit where your position is on housing and when you started council and where you're at now. Well, I think it started a long time ago about housing because I was involved in Samaritan House. John Kelly, who was part of actually getting Samaritan, off, Samaritan House off the ground, uh, actually I met him at my husband's funeral, which was 42 years ago. So he got me involved in Samaritan House from the get-go. So... With that, I saw the need in San Mateo County. And so I, I kind of got away from Foster City uh, because I was working with John in San Mateo, and I saw how many people needed housing. So when I was on the council, I was actually joined the Heart Board, which is Housing Endowment and Regional Trust. And we are a group that is a, it's a JPA, and it's a county. Uh, there's representatives from all the cities on it. And we just advocate for affordable housing. And that's because I saw the need for the last 25 years, um, it just naturally went it. So after I left the council, I stayed as an at-large member. So I think I've been on it about eight or ten years, I think. You know, we had an opportunity one time. I know the governor has spoken and said that we in the state of California need some $3.5 million uh, housing. Uh, based on a statistical analysis that we haven't built enough housing. But one of the major questions we've asked a lot of elected officials and people is, what type of housing is it? Is it senior housing? Is it uh, first-time homebuyer housing? Is it affordable housing? Is it subsidized housing? And for some reason, we don't have that answer. And I'm just curious, um, you're passionate about a certain type of housing. Well, I, I think I'm, I'm passionate about housing in general because I feel like 
with more housing, there'll be less cars on the road, contrary to what the anti-housing people think. Because for every condo we're building in San Carlos, that's maybe one or two ha uh, cars off of 92 and 101. So I think you need the service people, the, the, the workers in restaurants, you need the teacher housing, which is the biggest thing in education right now is, is keeping the, the retention of the educators. We're losing them right and left because they can't afford to live here. So what upset me is when the Foster City San Mateo School District decided to build the school here and is doing a single-story school instead of, to me, a two-story school with maybe 20 studio apartments attached to it would have been a, a better option, but they chose not to do that. I mean, for every every piece of land in in our county, to me, you should never build a single-story anything because the land is just too valuable, and we need the housing. We need all kinds of housing, but to me, I think the shortage is the workforce. I don't know, you can call it workforce, affordable, but affordable to whom? Um, it, we just need everything, and we just have to keep at it. Yeah, I think that's that's a good attitude, and that's what most of the elected officials and people are telling me, that we just need a stream of housing. One of the things that we're looking at is most of the housing that's being built on the peninsula are rental units, um, mm -hmm. and with below market rent. Um, and sometimes even in Foster City, we have that project, uh, the Trident out there, that has below market rent. And some of the one-bedroom apartments, from what I understand, are between twenty-two and 2600 a month. So it still seems that we kind of haven't grasped, grabbed a hold of what is affordable. Well, that's a good point. I mean, you still have educators. You still have people working in the schools that are not teachers. So you have that group of people. So they... They're, they're kind of within that, they're making a little more money than the teachers. And then you've got people that are working at Gilead here in Foster City. They're not all making $200,000 a year. They're, they're making under a hundred, So they would qualify for those housing. They'd also qualify, Heart Runs, the First Time Home Buyer Program, which is a wonderful program for people that are just starting out. And we help them with their rent and with Mary West, and we help them get their, their loan in the first place, and then they just have to, have to pay us back in a very slow amount of time. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, I know you've kept up on the housing, the carrot and stick approach. And as you know, Senator Weiner uh, had a uh, or state bill, uh, 60, that kind of went on the wayside uh, because... Most of the cities on the peninsula were against it for many reasons. And could you kind of express what do you think? Are the cities really starting to step up to the plate on affordable housing? And, and I know Foster City were honored to have at least 20% um, affordable housing mm -hmm. as part of the scheme when we do a development. Well, that's, I think every city needs to have 10%. We have 15 to 20%. But I think what cities have to do, and when I was on the council, you know, cities don't have a product to sell. I mean, we can't make more pencils and, and make more money in our city. So all we have as a product is service. And we don't, in order to keep our service up to par, we have to have money. The only way to have an income in our city is through, through property tax. And so... People think that the developers are these money-grabbing people. Well, we need the developers because we need the income. And unfortunately, when Facebook 
decided to build where they build and, and Google and everybody else, they didn't provide the housing. So to me, every city should now be thinking for every, every job that you provide in a city, for every hundred of those, one housing unit. But no one is, where were they going to put 6,000 people from Facebook? Where, where were they going to put them to live? So Menlo Park needed the money. They needed the income. They needed to provide for their own city and, and keep the city running. So they sold their souls, I hate to say it, to Facebook. They're getting all this income, but now they have this big housing issue. How do we, um, as we all realize, Google and Facebook will both have stepped up in the Bay Area, not necessarily just San Mateo County, Santa Clara County, giving us a billion dollars. Okay, now, I had an opportunity to interview uh, Supervisor Don Horsley, and we realized that there's strings attached <laughs> exactly. to it. So why don't we talk yeah. a little bit about that. How do, you know, The government right now is in a, in a thing where we have to be better negotiators with Facebook and Google and Apple right. and Salesforce. How do we do that as an elected official? Well, I think I think when Facebook says we're giving you know a billion dollars or two billion dollars or whatever, that's including the, the the price of the land they're going to put the building on. I mean, it, it's it's very skewed. They're, it's it's not really accurate. They're not just handing people money. They handed twenty million to uh, uh, to East Palo Alto, but they didn't have the infrastructure. They didn't have the water in order to build it. But sounds good on paper, but they're giving it to to a city that can't even use it. So they're going to have to pipe the water in from Menlo Park in order to build housing in East Palo Alto. I think we need to have some an advocate that is going to these companies and saying, there's no more building, there's, there's no more jobs available on the peninsula until we start dealing with the, with the housing shortage. Well, as a real estate broker for about 40 years now, I realized the the uh, struggles that we're having. It doesn't appear that when we approve commercial projects that we incorporate the idea of the people coming in um, with housing. And, and, and the question is, how can we do a better job on that? Well, we have to put that restriction on them. We have to say for every, for every everything you build, for every job you provide, you're going to have to think about where you're going to put this housing. And I think then... You, you mentioned senior housing. I think, you know, we've got our little senior place here, and we've got Atria. It's very pricey. But I think we have to start thinking outside the box. I mean, I'm sitting here in a four-bedroom home. I'm planning in 10 years, if I live that long, to, to get a couple roommates and then stay in my house and be able to have somebody come in and take care of the two other people that are living here. So I think seniors... I think seniors have a lot more options than they think they do. Instead of moving into a home, I think we probably have 25 of those kinds of homes in Foster City that provide in these comfortable living spaces. I want to run the place <laughs> because it's my house, um, and I want to pick the people, some fun people that like a cocktail at night, and then you go in your own room and you watch TV. It's We have a few more options. It's the people with children and the the, the child care is such a big issue as well. So we don't have facilities for child care either. So what I'd like to see developers do is when they, there's a couple developer developing projects in San Mateo that are coming in. I think the one across um, from it, where Trader Joe's is there, Ross, um, 
we're, we're trying to get them to put in childcare like on the, on the main floor. We're 10,000 spaces short on childcare in our county. I mean, the, it, it's the facilities. We don't have the facilities because everything costs so much money. So what we're trying to do is get developers to think in the very beginning before any plans are made is the bottom floor be childcare. I mean, if you lived in a project that had childcare at the bottom and you could leave in the morning and come down, drop your kid off, when you come home, your child has not even left the premises. I mean, it's, it's a selling point, but it's not a moneymaker for the developer. But you, you ask the developer, then that's the trade-off. You provide child care, we'll give you a tax break. We have, a, we have another dilemma, which is called, an the buzzwords now is economic divide. You have your Apple, your Salesforce, your Google, all providing exactly what you're talking about with child care, possibility, campus housing, all that yeah. other stuff. But we have another stratus of people out there that are struggling, one, to afford child care or afford yeah. health care. Are we in a situation that where we need to look down the road that somehow your your cities or counties need to subsidize that type of stuff? Because it doesn't seem to be that there's some families, I've got some close friends that moved out of Foster City uh, in the last 10 years, primarily because of the cost of housing and child care. Well, there is, I'm, I'm on the First Five Commission with Kitty Lopez, and that's a, a also a, a county commission and that's what we deal with every day is trying to find child care it it is a huge issue because people don't have child care you know these they can't go to work but there is subsidies from the government for that lower end of the spectrum of the kids that can't afford to go but the other part of that is to have to have child care for the two and three and four year olds those folks make less money than the kindergarten teachers. I mean, the, those preschool teachers, they make no money. And some of them, we have heard, are living in their cars in San Mateo County. So even though we provide child care, now we've brought in another set of teachers who can't afford to live here either. So we're all stuck, and we're all stuck in the same place. And I don't know what the answer is. Well, you know, one of the things that I brought up in San Mateo and Santa Clara County, 60% of your senior citizens own their own homes. So I really challenge the question, is it that we don't have the appropriate housing? Because most of those seniors are not going to move out of the Bay Area or pay those big taxes. You're a right. classic example <laughs> of just doing that. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm any different <laughs> than you, yeah. um, because I'm probably not going to want to pay that capital gains too. Yeah. Um, and that's our nest egg. So how do we, um, and, I, and I approach some elected officials, how can we, if, if we're really looking at the stream of housing and we have senior citizens living in four and five bedroom homes by themselves right. or as a couple, maybe we're just not recirculating the stock of housing that we have. Well, that, I mean, that's why I plan to stay here because that, that is the answer. I mean, that's the economical answer. I think um, HIP Housing does a good job of, of teaching people how to share homes, and they do all the legwork. They interview the people. They, they, they critique it. Um, and and I don't, that's why I don't think seniors, there are answers for seniors. There are options for seniors. If you've left yourself without a big mortgage, there's options for us. But there's not a lot of options for people with, with, with young children and that are, that are working in our restaurants. There just isn't. And teachers it's everybody, I'm afraid. 
Well, I think, I think you're right, and I think we really got to be more aggressive in our creative thought process. One of the things that when I talked with uh, Supervisor Don Horsley is that he indicated that 60% of the people that come into the Bay Area in San Mateo County do not live in San Mateo right. County and live in the East Bay. Um, and one of the reasons, some of these people are making 60, 80, 100,000, and obviously our rentals are high, the cost of housing is high, and they're probably coming from Martinez and mm -hmm. Stockton and Fresno and maybe even Sonoma. Um, what could we do to um, in, encourage them to want to live here? Because I think there, I, I think that there, that the major problem that we find with talking is not just the housing; it's transportation and a mm -hmm. broken system. What do you oh. think we can do? I've never dipped into the housing because I honestly don't see an answer to that. In in all of my visionaries, I don't see... I think you meant transportation on transport that. Transportation. Yeah. You said housing at first. Oh, oh no, I'm yeah. sorry. I, yeah. I just wanted to correct I'm not, you yeah, I thought I, you... I, I, I don't delve into housing. I mean, excuse me, I said it again. I don't delve into transportation because I hardly see an answer. Um but the people coming here from the East Bay or further away, they are also taking up our child care spaces because they're spending 80% of their life over here. So they've taken our spaces for the people that live in the Bay Area or on the peninsula. And finding places for them to live, if they could, and a lot of our firefighters and everybody that works for our city that live over there... They would rather spend an hour and a half on the road and have a backyard for their children than to live in a condo and be cramped. And that, it, it's, a, it's the American dream to have a house with a yard. And these guys, I mean, one lives in Grass Valley where my son lives, one of our firefighters. His, so they drive that far because it's worth it to them to live in a lake and, and drive that, that, that amount of time on the road. I don't think you can ask people to compromise their their dreams, and their dream is to have a house. And well, I want to encourage you. We had an opportunity to interview an 18-year career city council person in Woodside, David Tanner. Oh. Okay, and I, I know you know Dave. Mm -hmm. um, um, one of his ideas, and of course there was another gentleman from Foster City, a mayor, that says that he was part of it too, so I'm not going to bring his name up here okay. because I don't want to be too controversial. Okay. But Dave Tanner's thing is... Um, we're aware of that the Tamfran Shopping Center was bought near in um, one of the recession period of times. It was sold for like $30 million or something, a real low amount of money by an Australian group um, back hmm. in Australia. Um, one of the things is that they're talking about leveling the shopping center eventually and doing something with it. But Dave Tanner's proposal was a high-speed rail um, hmm. that he proposed to the uh, League of Cities um, I know it didn't really totally get take off the ground, but it would go to those areas of your Stockton, your mm -hmm. Fresno, every 28 minutes. Hmm. What do you? What, what, what's your thoughts on that? Well, you still have the surface roads that are going to be impacted. So they get them over here and they land them at Tanfran, then what? I mean, in, in Foster City experiences that being, we don't have east-west transportation to get to El Camino. Buses don't go that way. They go north and south. So you're still going to impact the area. I you know, unless you, unless you build up, which I do not propose anything to be clear, to be built 15 stories high in Foster City, I'm looking at the regional problem and the regional solutions. 
are to number one buy or use the land that that cities own that school districts own which is very difficult we've been trying with Pacifica with Hart Armando Sanchez that's the executive director at Hart has been working on this for two years now to to use you know land owned because then you have control over and it's free you own it but to put teacher house to put any housing on city owned property or school owned property is a huge challenge apparently this has been going on for two years it's nowhere near being solved so I think we just have to look at the empty spaces we have in our county and what's sitting vacant there's a lot of there's a lot of land that is sitting vacant and I don't think we're going to need more schools in my opinion because I think our demographics are not going to support that I, I think you're right on that. Recently, there was a decision made by the school board on Crestmore, and mm -hmm. um, and basically, I guess their final decision is to put it up for sale. Um, and um, I know that they were talking to teacher housing. Is it that we maybe could have reached out and developed a partnership, possibly with YouTube or Facebook or something like that, to possibly solve that problem? Or do you think they did explore that? Because um, I understand the expense of the land, and I can't blame the district for saying, hey, that's we're going to sell that real estate, and that's going to uh, bring multi-million dollars into, into the district. Do you think that kind of draws? It's a beautiful piece of property. Well, you know, school, school, school districts don't have developers on their boards. They, they, they don't know how, they don't know land use, they don't... And they're not supposed to. They're supposed to be dealing with their children. And look at in Foster City, how much land Foster City owned that we sold, that the San Mateo High School District sold off behind Bowditch. All those houses were were owned by the school district. They sold them off to get more money to have Aragon and San Mateo and Hillsdale and not a school in our city because you'd have to close one of those three, which was never going to happen. It was never going to happen from 1980. But this discussion still goes on every election cycle. It still goes on. Why don't we have a high school in Foster City? I looked at a letter when I ran that was dated 1980 from the superintendent saying, not now or ever will there be high school in Foster City because those other three schools were established. They were going to have to close one of those, which was never going to happen. Then we sell off the all this land behind Bowditch that would have been, you know, great for a bigger school or, you know, another grade school. So school districts, I'm not sure, have the right um, skill set to be able to make those decisions. And I hope that they get um, consultants, which consultants, I don't like to use that word because it just means a lot of money. But sometimes you need to use consultants that have that skill set. And I don't think school districts have it. Well, I think the closest we did get in Foster City mm -hmm. to a high school was the Episcopal High School, right. if I recall. Yeah. And I remember the groundbreaking on that. And, of course, the economics weren't there. I, my major objection to that was they didn't have a quota for Foster City kids. So, no. um, so I was not in favor of that high school because there was maybe there wasn't enough kids for Foster City. I don't know. But, well, it wasn't a yeah. public high school. So yeah. you're still going to have to pay. Mm -hmm. So did we want to have a school that, I mean, I wasn't really involved in that. So, yeah, that was probably a little sketchy to begin with. I, anyway, it didn't happen. Well, you know, there's a lot of things that have happened from 2005 to 2013 since you've been in elected mm -hmm. office. And I know you've been an observer 
you've also, if, if anyone knows Pam, she's out there rooting for whoever she thinks is going to be a good candidate for city council. Um, sometimes you make good decisions and sometimes you make bad decisions. Mm -hmm. And um, I wanted to kind of regress a little bit on your, uh, on your decision process back in 2018. Um, mm -hmm. And that's um, when uh, a few people were running for council. Uh, one, you know, there was, I was running too, okay. but um, we won't talk about me here, but we're going to okay. talk about your decision making. And you, you had made a decision in, in the midst of the election, and, and, and in the midst of it, you decided you wanted to support a candidate who is currently on the council. Mm -hmm. um, and then all of a sudden, uh, you decided to withdraw that endorsement. Right. Uh, so I did. So I was I was introduced to Richa, and by Charlie Bernitsky, and I knew at that point that her Perez was supporting her and endorsing her, and I talked to her for probably an hour and a half to two, and I liked her. I liked her a lot. I thought she was smart, and I I asked only one thing of her, and that was to stay independent, and uh, that she would not do what her would ask her to do which I had heard that maybe she was leaning that way so I said I would like you to one time just publicly state that you you are independent and just because certain people endorse you does not mean that you're going to vote with that person I gave her three opportunities to do that and after the third one that she did not do that I called her and said I'm sorry you, you didn't hold up your end of the bargain, so I'm withdrawing my endorsement. I've since been called a misogynist, which isn't even the correct use of the term, um, which, you know, doesn't bother me because everybody that knows me in the city knows that that's not true. It was a decision I regret. Um, I regret endorsing her to begin with, um, but at the time... I just thought she was strong and she was a woman and I didn't care that her was endorsing her. I just thought she'd be good for this city. When I saw and took a closer look and saw some of the things she was saying and doing, I had no choice but to withdraw it. And I've never done that before. I've, you know, Some people I've endorsed haven't won, but I've never unendorsed somebody. But it's a bit, I look like a genius now. Sorry. Well, no, I, pre I appreciate your honesty there. And, you know, you also were uh, in support of another candidate, too, weren't you? Besides, uh, I know you had Richa that you supported, and then you... Sanjay. Sanjay. Mm -hmm. So you were, you, you were interested in Sanjay. Now, I, I think Sanjay um, uh, was very overwhelmed by being able to... I know his first narrative when uh, he was talking was that there was going to be no more housing. So right. I, I, and that was the Bob Cushman group. Heaven yeah. forbid Bob know, Cushman's in heaven right now or in purgatory, wherever he may uh -huh. be. Um, Bob Cushman was adamant about no more housing. Right. Um, and um, Sanjay was kind of on board with that. And then all of a sudden... He, during... ha he hadn't met me yet, though. Yeah. Okay. Well... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he hadn't met me yet. And when he did say that, I was like, what? You, you should, first of all, you should never make any bold statement like that, you, you just say, I consider and I think and I may support, but to, to, to make such a strong statement that uh, no more housing is, well, it's a mistake. It's a mistake because you have no wiggle room. 
you can't say, well, maybe that housing or maybe that housing. You just say, I have to look at it. When, when the development comes up, I will look at it and I will decide. If it's a good idea, I'll vote for it. If it's not, I won't. But to make a statement, so I tried to get that across to him. I think I've gotten that sort of across to him. I don't think he's anti-housing. Well, I, I will tell you that I, we had a wonderful opportunity, and I think once he knew you were aboard and, and the other people, that I, I could say that he sounded like an evangelist for housing. So I, I will say he did change his tune on the housing. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. I'm not sure where he completely stands today, but but who knows? We, we don't really have very much um, out there to, to develop. So we don't. We don't. I think the only thing we have left is the property on Beach Park, Owned by Gary Diaba, that wants yeah. to do a little bit of um, a little bit of a condo development, right. and I know right. there's a little controversy on zoning. I, I don't know where that is at, at this point either. Too. Yeah, no one calls me for my opinion anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you. I don't believe you on that. You're I being... say yes to the housing. Okay. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about something that's real critical, um, and we hear that word coming out. Obviously, we. We have the recall coming out. And I want to talk, first of all, about the Brown Act. Mm -hmm. um, I have a, a pretty good understanding of the Brown Act, and I think you have a pretty good understanding of the Brown Act. Maybe you want to tell the viewers out there what the Brown Act is all about. Well, it, first of all, I think it's, 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 it's a rather odd uh, law, but it is a law. And it just means that I can't, you and I can't talk about... Uh, building a school at Booth Bay Park. Uh, we can talk about it, but then you can't talk to somebody else about it, and I can't talk to somebody else about it. So it, it, it just has to be between two people. As soon as it goes to the third person, it's a violation. I know Sanjay went to all the meetings, and you, I have to say you are overwhelmed by it uh, because... He thought he was just chatting with people. I mean, there was it wasn't on an agenda. It was, and I'm not making an excuse for him, but I can understand. In the first few months of your being on a council, it's pretty overwhelming to follow anything, if not everything. So, I can tell you that I guarantee you that every one of us have violated the Brown Act at one time or another, and I could I could cite many times where I know the mayor talked to the other council member and everyone decided who's going to vote for mayor and who's, who's going to be vice mayor and I'll make you a deal if you do that. You can have vice mayor and then, then next year you vote for me for mayor. This goes on all the time. It's unfortunate for Sanjay. It happened with people that didn't have his back. And to me, if I had been on the council, I may have said as soon as he started talking, hey, dude, you do understand the Brown Act. Now, have you talked to anybody else about this? But no one no one was there to have his back. And well, you know, I think we need to clarify a couple of things on the Brown Act. The Brown Act, you're right. It, it's, so for the public, they understand it. The Brown Act basically means the communication between a person on a city council, on a commission, mm -hmm. on a board. So it's not just the public, it's that. And you're right, it's two or more people. Um, unfortunately, there was an unfortunate situation, as you know, the um, uh, uh, district attorney uh, uh, in his letter indicated that um, that uh, Councilman Sanjay had actually had spoken to maybe three or four people on the council 
plus he had spoken to the city attorney and from what I understand was advised that he'd be in violation of the Brown Act but he kept repeating that so I'm, I'm I feel if it, it's an unfortunate situation for Sanjay and I think he's been pretty much punished on it so my question would be only from looking at the letter and I don't know if mm -hmm. you've seen the letter mm -hmm. from, the, from from that the letter was and where I'm concerned about that for the question is is for the city of Foster City um, I think it's important um, that we acknowledge whether it's her Perez or whether it's Richa or anybody that to take responsibility and um, and, and I, I think it, it was more than just a casual act but something that was an unfortunate situation and if you were on council do you uh, feel that um, and obviously it's a difficult question for you to answer because you were in support of Sam Jay and I think I was in support of Sandy do you think it was an innocent mistake or do you think that because um, obviously he sits on a he sits on a board of a nonprofit um, and uh, as a officer on a nonprofit the uh, Brown Act applies too I, you know, I, you, you're saying specifics that I don't really know about. I, I did see the letter from Wagstaff. Uh, it, it, he was in violation. I don't believe he had talked to the city manager, or uh, the city attorney. I thought it was the city manager. But what it, whatever the case may be, he learned his lesson, and he, that will never happen again. I, I guarantee you he understands the Brown Act from one side to the other. Um, the part that, that bothered me, I think in the last six years I've been off the council, or five, whatever it is, um, I've watched maybe two meetings, and the one I did watch that I couldn't go to because it still upsets me to go to them and see the disrespect and the chaos that ensues in those meetings. But I did watch it the next day. I couldn't even watch it that night. It gave me a stomachache because <laughs> it hurts me. It hurts me to see this disrespect. And I, I revered, it was such a revered position. But that he, that they wanted to then take it a step further and have a public flogging is what I'd call it, to now censor him was just way, way beyond necessary. He he learned his lesson. He was embarrassed to the hilt. He stood in front of the, his his colleagues, apologized, knows he did something wrong. He's been punished by 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 a, you know, Wagstaff. He he gets it. I I don't think you need to have another uh, another meeting to flog him. In, in you know, public. I think I think we're in complete agreement on that. Um I think the point was um even with a censor situation, I was—I really supported uh, Sam to try to yeah. move it forward uh, in a more positive way. And, right. and I think to our audience, a lot of people don't know a censor could be just uh, an acknowledgement. It shouldn't be a, a flogging like you were yeah. talking about. But there That's was somebody on the council uh, that wanted that, uh, maybe two people. Uh, so you're right on that. I, I want to kind of get into um, the recall process. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I know. Um, You've been friends with um, Mr. Perez over the years, and I know you guys have uh, disagreed extremely. Um, I, you know, um, whether it's on social media, um, sometimes I've seen you overwhelmingly love each other to death and say good things about each other. Um, can I have a copy of that? Yeah, you can have a copy of that. <laughs> so I wanted to talk a little bit. Are you in favor of the recall? 
I am. I I am with a with an asterisk. I I did not join the recall group. I was not part of the recall uh, process or go to any meetings on the recall. I wrote an independent article uh, saying that I just I I don't hate her Perez, but I hate his behavior, and that's that was my clear point. Is you don't treat people like he does, still does, and I. You know, when I was on it for those eight years, I have to tell you, there was never a disrespectful word. If someone was at the podium, we'd let them speak. Um, I, I'm disappointed that the rest of the council members, as he treated those people like that, anyone in that DS could have stopped and said, excuse me, through the mayor, I'm uncomfortable with the way Herb is talking to this resident. I'd like a five-minute recess. I got to pee. What, I mean, I, whatever it is. You can, anyone can do that. But to sit there and watch that happen, I'm very disappointed. And I've told everybody on the council, you, you can say that. You have every right to stop a meeting and stop this behavior. But nobody ever did it. Nobody ever stopped it. He did that to me once and walked out. I took a vote without him. And he was, but, but he never did it again. He never did it again. Well, I congratulate you watching that, that council, and I probably have seen more council meetings than some of the people that have even attended council. So. Um, I, I have to say when you have three lawyers sometimes on the council that Robert's rules of order and are not followed. Um, and it would be nice to think that we would have either a city manager or um, a city attorney that would be a little bit more aggressive that's, on stopping, and it, it that's, hasn't that's happened. Not, well, that's not their role. Their role is that it's at the pleasure of the council. So the council is their boss. So the city manager and the city attorney cannot stop that. that it's just not their role. Be, it just isn't. I know some people think they should have spoke up and stopped this. No. Your colleagues is who to stop it. Your colleagues, you're all equal up there. If you're the mayor or a council person, you're all equals. You can all say whatever you want to say. Just everyone's afraid of the backlash. They're afraid to get chewed down by him. So they keep their mouth shut. And we, we have we, the recall has a uh, website. I don't know if you've been on the website and uh, website no. trying to promote it. I mean, obviously, you said you're, 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 are you in favor of, of the recall then? Yes. Okay. Yes. And the grounds are. Um, the thing that that's kind of controversial is he only has a few months right. left, um, right. and obviously the only unique thing we have it's going to be in in a uh, upcoming uh, election that we're going to have if it's followed through right. with council um, sometime in March, which will also be a presidential one. So it should be pretty well, pretty well um, voted on too, because I think last time in the last election we had around seventy three percent of the people vote in Foster City, yeah. which is a history for Foster City. Right. So do you think they're going to get the votes to recall them? Well, I I do. And to get back to your point of why should we do it because he's only got six months after that left, or really maybe eight. Um, for me, it's very important to note that this has to stop like today. And it's not going to stop today. If anything, it's going to stop in March. And I don't want one more person disrespected or being rude to. He represents me at every event outside of this city and in this city. 
and I'm embarrassed. I don't want him to. He doesn't represent me. He, he just doesn't. The other people on the council, most of them represent who I am. So for him to be anywhere connected with Foster City is another day is too long. And, it, and it's unfortunate that he doesn't see that writing on the wall. I, I, I was hoping to get him to, to maybe resign because you could do that with a little dignity and, and, and save the city some money. People are saying, you know, that, that's why I don't want to be aligned with the re, recall group because I also believe Rick Wyckoff and the people that didn't vote for it because of, because of the $70,000. That is a big chunk of change. Um, so I'm in the middle to support somebody else that might be running and the recall group, but I'm definitely want him out. Why did, um, you know, election time is coming up for other candidates that are on the uh, current, on the council. Mm -hmm. um, do you think there's any motivation um, on any part of the people that are probably going to run um, again uh, in 2020? Um, as, as we realize, for the most part, Sam, um, Herb, and Rich all used to vote on the, the same things. And now, all of a sudden, we have a, uh, a mayor that's really stepping up to the plate. And he's really swinging the bat um, and stuff like that. And I can't blame him for that. Uh, so, uh, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, it, I mean, um, obviously, if we go back to that election, I think that was the election I was running in, that you supported, yeah. you supported yeah. Sam. And, uh, I did. Yeah, and, I and, did. And um, I think one of the caveats, and I've sat in on some of the interviews with um, yourself and a couple of other former council people, was is that the motivation was to stand up and be a leader. Yeah. Okay. And then I mean, I asked you the question. <laughs> they're standing up to be a leader way after when you said, why don't you stand up? Um, well, so, yeah. I mean, I, I'm just trying to, to draw a little line in the sand. How do you feel about seeing somebody that you said they support you, they'll fight back against um, a certain council person, then all of a sudden they, uh, they don't do it, and now they're, they're back in, in, up for re-election, and, they're, and they're, they're doing what they said they were going to do. Well, I wish I had a crystal ball. I wish I had a crystal ball, but Sam sat in my backyard and swore to me that he would be independent and that Herb would not enter in. I mean, he'd listen to him, but he wouldn't go with it. And then two seconds later, after um, he got in office, um, that's that's the way it went. And But you had Charlie Bernitsky, and you had Sam, and you had Herb. And when you see those two strong personalities... I'm thinking maybe you just go with, with, with who's going to get the three votes, and maybe that's the way Sam was thinking. I think Sam has come through now. People say a little too late. I tell him thank you. Um, at least he has stopped some of the chaos that's been going on. I mean, I, I'm out in the county a lot, and I'm on five nonprofit boards, and they're all in the county. And we are, I hate to say, the laughing stock. It used to be Belmont, and I tell the Belmont people this all the time. It used to be Belmont was the laughing stock. They had some real whack jobs. Now Foster City is the laughing stock, and it hurts to know that we are. But there's such chaos and dysfunction, and no, we need a leader. And I think, I always think I'm picking a leader, but again, I don't have a crystal ball to see 
what's going to motivate that person to go along with the other two strong people or to stand on their own and just and and go down go on a, on a four one vote or usually it's three two it's been three two now for five years it's been three two well thanks for answering a <laughs> difficult question that was not an easy question um just from my understanding the recall actually started or they were thinking about a recall committee back in 2016 yeah they just waited to a certain period of time to do that we're we're, we're hoping to get herb to interview um with us on podcasts um you know, why don't we just talk with a few closing remarks? Um, what are you so proud of um, in Foster City, not only from your uh, being on council in 2005 and 2013, but stuff that you're really proud of that you've done for the city of Foster City, or it even could be the county? I, well, I guess I'm, I'm proud that we got through eight years of no chaos, <laughs> There wasn't a lot of controversy. Uh, I think we accomplished a lot. We got through the 2008 recession. Um, we made up some money along the way. We approved some housing. We got some senior housing. I'm very proud of the um, the, vet, the vet wall. Um, that was something that was my uh, my thing that I wanted to get done to, to have that memorial wall and. Or honor, it's an honor wall, it's not, not just a memorial. And I have to say, I'll give credit to Herb Perez, he was the swing vote on that. And we did get that voted in because of, of Herb. Um, I, just, I just think the legacy for anybody in public office or anybody in any profession is if you've helped one life, I think that's, that's, that's what I look at if, you know, when I was on the council, if somebody said their their fire hydrant was, you know, rusted out and they were so upset about it, I'm like, okay, I'll call Public Works and the next day the thing was done. These people, that's what my job was as a council. My, my job was to be a representative to the people, for the people to the city. I don't work for the city, I work for the people. And my, my biggest thing is I don't have... A, a master's degree in public administration, public finance, public administration. I don't have a master's degree in anything. So who runs our city is the people in the offices. What they give us, they do their homework. They give us three options. All a council member needs is a love for the city and some common sense. And when they're presented with three options, they pick one of the three. That was our job. I mean, it was really simple. We represent the people, not the city, but the people. And I think I did that well. Um, and in the county on these commissions I'm on now, that's what I'm still doing, is just advocating for the people to get the most out of, out of their lives and for them to have a safe place to fall when they come back into Foster City. Well, on behalf of Podcast by the Bay, Bay City Communication, Pam Frisella, we want to congratulate you on being a great public servant and thanks for taking the opportunity to let me interview you. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. You can contact us by email 
at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Podcast by the Bay is a production of Bay City Communications and is sponsored by Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com You can follow us on Twitter at Podcast by the Bay as our handle or on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast by the bay. And remember, you can listen to any of our episodes anytime on any podcast site. Until next time, stay tuned. Stay tuned.